The last time we were together, we began to uh, look back at what we've learned to date in our study in the book of Daniel. Having uh, completed the first six chapters, we've reached the halfway point, and thus we've started to take a look at uh, our Daniel halftime report. Um, As we've noticed, um, Daniel offers quite a contrast from what many in our day accept as business as usual. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 6 and look at one example or one illustration of this particular truth. In Daniel chapter 6, we read these words in verse 4. It says, Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel with regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence and no corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. If you look at that, talk about a contrast from what we see taking place in our society today. This is a man who was the target of a conspiracy. This was a man who did have his enemies digging into his uh, closet, so to speak, looking for skeletons and trying to dig up dirt on him. But uh, even they could not find anything much to their chagrin because he was a man who was faithful. He was not corrupt, nor was he negligent in fulfilling his office that he had or the duties of his office. And what's fascinating about that is here was a man who fulfilled his duties of office admirably and his life is an example to us some 2,500 years later and there's much that we can learn from this particular man as a role model for us today. What's interesting is that there's some things in, in his particular life that stand out as we went through these first six chapters. I want to point them out as we go along. I don't want us to miss it. But one of the things that's fascinating about it is, is that you know, he does speak volumes of what it takes to become a positive role model or to be someone that we want to be like. Our lives uh, do send forth a message, don't they? Sometimes the message is destructive to society. And other times in the case of Daniel... We can look at his life from a standpoint that he is a positive role model or an example of what God's people are supposed to be about. And uh, the question that I have as I went through this is, uh, how did Daniel throughout 66 years of public service, working under some of the most ruthless, godless men to ever walk the planet, maintain such an impeccable and remarkable record? How did he remain above reproach? How did he remain a man who was not corrupt nor negligent? How did he remain a man who was faithful in his relationship to his God? What's fascinating about it is I believe it's what we touched on last time. And if you've got your Bible still open, look at verse 8 of chapter 1. And it all boiled down to Daniel had a different mindset. He was not conformed to this world, but he was transformed by the renewing of his mind. He had a new mindset, a different mindset, a mindset that was completely in opposition to the things of this world. Because his mind basically was a mindset that dwelt on the Word of God. And as his, even his enemies said, we shall not find anything against this man unless we find it against him and his God and the laws of his God. And the laws of his God. The only way we're going to be able to paint him into a corner is that he is so consistent in his relationship with God, we're going to have to attack him there. Because he is not a man of compromise, he is a man of consistency. 
And so he measured his performance and his mindset and, and ultimately his actions were always measured against a very objective standard. And the standard was what? The laws of his God. The word of God. Daniel 1, 8 says, Daniel made up his mind when he was offered a choice to compromise everything that he believed that the word of God clearly taught or to be offered that which this particular kingdom had to offer. The riches that went along with it, the education, the promotions, everything that was there. And Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. He had made up his mind that he would not defile himself. And it basically relates back to what we're talking about. And that is that he clearly understood God's laws. He understood the laws of God. And he measured his thoughts and his actions against the objective standard of the word of God. You know, it's fascinating if you think about it is what's the secret of his longevity? What's the secret of his successful life? Here on earth. What's the secret of the fact that he wasn't corrupt, that he wasn't negligent, that he was faithful? The secret wasn't a, it wasn't really a secret at all because everybody that knew him understood what his secret was. His secret was he was a man that was sold out 100% totally committed to God and the laws of God. If God said it, he believed it. If God said no, it was no. If God said do it, he did it. And so it was the same mindset that his friends had. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were men who were sold out to the Word of God. And even when they were challenged to compromise, they said, we can't, we must obey God rather than man. And that was the mindset that they had, and it was important that we recognize and understand that. It's interesting as we look at that, everything that, that Daniel did was always measured against the objective, non-negotiable standards, non-emotional standards, I may add, of the laws of God. The Bible clearly teaches that God's laws are His laws, His precepts, His statutes, His commandments, His testimonies. All of those things are etched in stone. And not only are they etched in stone as we get the Ten Commandments etched in stone on Mount Sinai, but more importantly in Daniel's life, they're not only etched in stone before him or he can read them on a regular basis, they were etched and carved into his very own heart. They were a part of his very being. Daniel and his friends were not influenced by public polls. They weren't influenced by the opinions of others, nor were they swayed by threats from their enemies or even from their own emotions and feelings. Their thoughts and actions were always measured against the Word of God. It didn't matter then who was doing it. They didn't buy into the lie that we hear often today in our culture. Well, everybody's doing it. So what? Then everyone's wrong. What's that supposed to mean? Every one of us as parents have talked to our children as they've grown up and said that same statement. Well, all my friends are doing it. And their parents let them do it. Well, then all your friends are wrong and so are their parents. What part of that don't you understand? Had that conversation. How many of you have had the same conversation? Amen? Thank you very much. Okay, good. And the bottom line is, is that we have to be able to measure human behavior by an objective standard and not by the people around us. None of us buy into that. I don't care what your friends are doing. Said that often. Could care less. The important thing is what does God say is right? Now the question is how do you measure that? And if you got your Bibles, look at Psalm 119. How do you measure what that objective standard is? Psalm 119. We read these words starting with verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. With all my heart I have sought thee. Don't let me wander from thy commandments. Thy word I've treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of thy mouth. 
I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. And I will meditate on thy precepts and regard thy ways. And I shall delight in thy statutes and I shall not forget your word. In our last session, I told you of a conversation that I had with a mother of a teenage son and the advice that she gave him as to how to make decisions in life. If if you'll recall, she said that I tell him to always trust himself and to always go with what he feels in his heart. And as I challenged her, and I want you to listen carefully to this, as I challenged her to think, it was amazing how easy it was to be able to show her how dangerous such counsel is to her own children. See, the problem that we have in our culture today is we don't like to think. We we don't like to think because it takes hard work to think. And for some of us, you know, our brain is a muscle and that sucker is atrophied a long time ago. (laughs) And in fact, if you go for a jog, you probably hear it sloshing around in your head. And, and, And the reason for it is we don't like to think. We become very lazy. And so she had never run into anybody who would actually challenge her to think because most of us, we hear someone's opinion and we just go, oh, that's interesting. You know, and then we walk away and then we, uh, we allow them to believe that their opinion has some validity. But when you say, well, wait a minute, let me ask you a question now. If you're telling him to go by his feelings or his emotions, and I began to share with her about the young man that I visited in prison, I said, you know, he acted upon his feelings and his emotions, and while he trusted his heart, his heart led him to shackles in jail. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, our feelings and emotions will mislead us. There are times where we must take, take captive those emotions and not act upon those emotions. And if we do not, then what will happen is, how, how will our behavior be objectively measured? It will be measured according to an objective standard, and the standard in this case is the laws of our land. Do you follow this? Our behavior is not measured by our emotions, whether we trusted ourselves, we believed in our heart, we did what we wanted to do because that's what our feelings led us to do. There is a greater standard that goes beyond us as individuals in society. And in our particular situation, I'm talking about the laws of our land. He acted upon his emotions and he violated the laws of our land and it led him into prison today. Then I ask her a second thing, in case she couldn't relate to that, I ask her this question. Do you remember when you were a teenager... And I know you can't. (laughs) And I don't even think you ever were. Just materialized. Um, But I asked her a question. Do you remember when you were a teenager? And she looked kind of with that look on her face and thought about it for a second. And I said, let me ask you something. Did you ever act upon your emotions as a teenager and later regretted the actions that you took? Duh. Who hasn't? So we begin to challenge the thinking of people around us. You see, laws protect us from ourselves and from those around us. That's why we have laws in society. That's why we have uh, rules in the home or rules at school for the classroom or on an athletic team. We have rules. We have policies in our businesses. And the reason that we do all of that is to protect us from ourselves and one another. I'm going to ask you a question. You've been in an environment before, whether it's a classroom or it's on an athletic team or it's even in your place of work. You have been in places where there are rules and then you have also seen that there are people who violate those rules. 
What happens if we do not act upon the rules as a standard to, to objectively measure those who violate it and we do nothing about those who violate the rules? What ultimately takes place in society? All hell breaks loose, literally. And I mean that figuratively and also uh, expressively because that's exactly what hell's all about. It's pandemonium, it's bedlam, it's confusion, there's no clarity, there's no sense of purpose, there's no sense of direction. We have got to realize and understand that we have got to have an objective standard that goes greater than ourselves, our feelings, or the feelings of those around us. See, Daniel understood that. Everything he did, he measured against the objective standard, which was the laws of God. I read one of the best editorials that I'd seen through this whole mess that's going on in Washington, D.C. today. It was written by a guy whose name is Thomas Sowell, who's a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. And I want you to listen to this, and I want you to stop for a moment and and put your biases down and all the defense mechanisms that go up and and all the nonsense that I hear people say with, you know what, well, we shouldn't be talking about politics and we shouldn't be talking about current events and we we shouldn't be talking about anything that's going on because we really should just be talking about the Bible. That's the problem. That's the problem. The Bible is relevant for today's society. The, relevant, the Bible is relevant for my life today and your life today and the culture around us. And we need to recognize it and understand it. And I want you to listen to what he has to say and I'm going to tie it back to what we're going to discuss. The importance is we must have a, a, an absolute uh, objective standard of measurement. And he writes in this particular editorial, it's called The Rule of Law. And here's what he says. Someone pointed out that when the Watergate hearings were over and Nixon had resigned as president, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Peter Rodina wept. Says a Democrat, he wasn't weeping about Nixon for the issue was not Nixon. He was weeping for his country, which had been put through so much and which had just escaped the dangers of letting a president be above the law. Says in purely partisan terms, Rodina had won, but he obviously didn't see it as a victory. He said, the issues were too big, too fundamental, and the stakes for the country were too high. The issue today is not Bill Clinton. The issue is the United States and the rule of law. It says, whether Clinton is or is not contrite, whether he is or is not forgiven, are insignificant things alongside the issue of whether the enormous powers of the presidency can be used to thwart, corrupt, and mock the very laws of the land that every president is sworn to uphold. It says, if we, all, if we reduced all of that to personalities and psychobabble, then we are in worse dangers than those which caused Peter Rodino to weep. It says, one of the sad signs of our times was a question from a reporter to a spokesman from the Independence Council. As he delivered the official report in dozens of boxes, boxes of evidence, the reporter asked this question. So how do you feel about all of this? Can this generation no longer think beyond personal feelings? Is everything in our culture, how do you feel about this? Who cares how you feel? What's important is to measure it against an objective standard of what is truth. No small part of the success of the White House spin masters in confusing the issue has been due to their understanding that there are many people out there who can only react emotionally. In the latest spin, the special prosecutor's report to Congress is downgraded to just another viewpoint. Just the special prosecutor's allegations, according to the president's attorney. 
the tape conversations, the subpoenaed documents, the DNA tests, the court records of perjured testimony, all of these, all 36 boxes of material delivered to Congress, are now just suddenly Kenneth Starr's opinions. Clinton's media allies have already started echoing this tune. Congress will, of course, have to weigh evidence and testimony, but this is wholly different from saying that this is all just a matter of opinions. It's a matter of the Republican opinion. It's a matter of the Democrat opinion. It's a matter of opinion of women. It's a matter of opinion of men. It's a matter of opinion of this group or that group. Everything's a matter of opinion and how we feel about certain things. And what we do is we throw aside the objective evidence and we no longer even consider that any longer. He goes on to say this. The difference between the truth and the lie is fundamental, even if it's not fashionable. And the search for truth is not just the search for opinions, whether stars' opinions or the opinions of our public. However shocking Lewinsky escapade may be in itself, that is not what poses a danger to the institutions of this country and to the rule of law. Lewinsky was just an exclamation point at the end of a decades-long history of the Clintons thumbing their noses at the laws of the land, both in Arkansas and in Washington. What happened in the Oval Office was less important than what happened afterwards, as the powers of the office were mobilized behind elaborately organized attempts to corrupt the whole legal process in order to cover everything up. Even as the president was talking piously of contrition and forgiveness, the threat was going out that the White House has dirt on others and that this dirt will be used as retaliation. Nor is there any reason to believe that congressmen voting on impeachment will be exempt. That's why illegally obtained FBI files are a far more important threat to the rule of law in this country than a sexy intern. An even bigger threat are, quote, mushy-minded people who are looking for excuses to avoid hard thinking and hard decisions. Yet the very fact that the, we have a, a tradition that no one is above the law is due to 17th century Britons who beheaded one king and forced another to flee for his life. The question, is what, the question is whether we even have the stomach for considering impeachment or the brains to resist the spin. I hope you are listening to that because it lines up exactly with what we, we need to discuss. Because whether it's in the secular world or in the Christian world, we need to recognize the importance of laying aside our feelings and our emotions and objectively measuring our thoughts and our actions against a standard that is immovable, that is non-negotiable, and is truth from the very throne room of God. Everything that we do in life must be measured against the backdrop of the truth of the Word of God. That's what this is all about. And we need to recognize that and understand that. Now go back to Psalm 119 and let's dig into what God has to say. I want you to notice in verse 9 the question of how can a young man keep his way pure? And God gives us the answer. And He says very specifically by taking heed to the Word of God. Now if you and I are going to be right before God or we're going to maintain a, a, um, an integrity that's similar to that of Daniel if we are going to avoid the pitfalls of the world that we live in, then God says what we must do is maintain or take heed, action, upon the Word of God. Now that sounds very easy, but there's some difficulties that, are, that exist in this, and I want to share with you five of them, and five of them very, very serious problems. Number one, we look at the problem that has to do with, look what he says in verse one. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, in verse nine, by keeping it according to thy word. What's interesting to me is the struggle that takes place in our culture today is basically this. We live in a world today that no longer wants to recognize moral absolutes. We want to believe that opinion is more important than truth. 
We want to believe that feelings are more important than an objective standard by which to measure our feelings. Now, even though if we challenge one another to consider it, what we want to believe just falls apart. There is no way that you and I can live in this society. We can't live in our homes. We can't live in businesses. We can't live in athletics. We can't live anywhere in society wanting what we say we want to actually take place. Because we all know that chaos is a result of exactly that type of thought process. We all want structure. We all want order. We all want purpose. We all want there to be a plan. And when there's not structure, purpose, and order in a business, then the first thing you start to think is, I need to go somewhere else because this place is out of control. If there's not structure, order, and purpose in a classroom, we can't learn because the learning environment is destroyed. And then we think, I've got to get out of this guy's class and get somewhere else where there's control. But we all say that we don't want moral absolutes because after all, who am I to say my opinion is more important than your opinion? And we've all boiled it down to opinions. Well, you know what? Let me just help you understand something, what God has to say. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Now, the question that he's asking, how can we keep our way pure, also implies a very very real truth, and that's this. There is a pure way to live according to God, and there is an impure way to live. There is a right way to live according to God, and there is a wrong way to live. The Bible clearly teaches that there are two choices in life. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is destruction. And there is a way that God says is right, and in the end of that is blessing that's promised by God. There are moral absolutes. There are right and there are wrong. And God clearly defines them throughout His Word. We need to recognize and understand the biggest problem in our culture today is we're not coming from the same common denominator anymore. We, you and I have to learn how to rethink, how to articulate what we believe, and many of us can't do it because we don't even know. Because we haven't taken the time to think. We haven't taken the time to get into the Word of God to find out what is right and what is wrong. And how do I learn the difference between the two? We have got to get into the Word of God because the question is a simple one. How can you keep from making a mess of your life? Simple, by taking heed to the Word of God. The problem is, is that we're lazy, and the problem is, is that we've got a generation of people who have no longer been taught the difference between right and wrong. What they've been taught and what they've been encouraged is that, you know what, that's your version of right, and your version of wrong. And who are you to say something's wrong if I believe it's right? And who am I to say something's right if I believe it, you believe it's wrong? And you know what, my opinion is just as valid as your opinion. No, it's not. If you're wrong, you're wrong. And we need to measure it against an objective standard. That's how we all know whether what we believe is right or wrong. You follow what's going on here? We're in a mess. We've got a mess around this. Because we don't know how to teach the difference between right and wrong. That's the first problem. What's interesting as we look at this, you know, the only way that we can keep from getting into trouble in life is by taking heed according to the Word of God. The second thing is, notice the priority, and I don't want you to miss this. In verse 10, we read this. With all my heart I have sought thee. With all my heart I have sought thee. How did Daniel find the courage to face opposition throughout his life? Very simple, just like the psalmist. With all his heart he sought God. When he was caught being disobedient to the law that that was enacted by, uh, by Darius, what was he doing? He was praying. And and the Bible says this, and he was doing what he continued to do. 66 years in captivity, and even prior to that, what I believe is very clearly taught in the Bible, and that's this. 
He continued to do what he always did. Morning, noon, and night, he prayed to God. He sought wisdom from God. He spent time with God. With all of his heart, he sought God in the things of God. You see, the priority is that we have got to become people who with our whole heart seek after the will of God. You know, today we say we would say this. When we see a person like that, we say, man, he's fired up. We had a guy in the angels I was talking to last night in our chapel, and, and this guy's fired up. And everybody else around him goes, man, this guy's fired up. Now i got a question for you. When was the last time that somebody observed your life and made the same claim about you? Man, she is fired up. She loves the Lord, man. She is fired up. He loves the Lord. He's fired up. He's on fire! You can't get close without getting scorched. You're going to get singed. You go close to Him, I'll guarantee you, you're going to get singed. Why? Because He's on fire. Why? Because He's wholly devoted to the Lord. I'm going to ask you a question you've got to think about for a second. Why don't some Christians get their acts together? Why don't some Christians get their lives cleaned up? Why do some Christians continue to have the same problems over and over and over and over? I've been here 15 years, and some of you have the same problem today that you had 15 years ago. (laughs) And Kay, we're praying for you. <clears throat> yeah, you want let me explain something. His wife's name is Kay. <laughs> he said, pray for his wife. <clears throat> he must have thought your name was Kay. Hey, um, anyway, what's the point? Where are we at? The problems haven't changed. Why haven't they changed? Because you're not sold out to do what God says in His Word. Because you haven't wholly devoted yourself to the Word of God. Because you haven't wholly become convinced of the counsel of God. You don't believe that what God's saying is true. If you believe what God's saying was true, you'd apply it in your life. And guess what? You wouldn't have the same stupid problems. See, we need to be wholly devoted to God. You know, it says about King Solomon when he sinned before God, he began to take in, uh, marry foreign wives and he began to multiply horses and all the stuff that happened and all the de- deterioration in his life. You know what the, the, the uh, condemnation of God's word to him was? He sinned before God. Why? Because he was not wholly devoted any longer to the Word of God. That's why. He sold out. He had one foot here, he had one foot there. You know, it's interesting, I was doing another study once, reading through the book of Exodus, and I want to share with you some compromises that were offered by Pharaoh to Moses, and I think the same compromise exists today. But the first compromise was this. God told Moses to go ahead and tell Pharaoh that it was time for Pharaoh to let his people go. Moses goes to him and tells him, I'm sorry, you know, I've got you know, to do this. God told me to do it. And if you question who's asked me to do this, by what authority? It's by the authority of God himself. I am sent me. Okay? So Pharaoh's thinking, man, I've got a problem here because I've got all this cheap labor and they've done everything around this whole empire. I mean, they built everything. They built the pyramids. They built it all. And I don't want to lose this cheap labor. So I'm going to offer him some compromises. I'm going to negotiate with Moses. The first compromise that he offered him in Exodus chapter 8 was this. He said, if you must go worship your God... That's fine, but you can still do it within Egypt. You don't have to leave Egypt. You can still do it right here. 
And that compromise is a very subtle compromise, and that's this. That's a compromise that says to you and I, hey, you know what, if you've got to worship your God, you can still do it and still have all the benefits that the world has to offer and then still satisfy that little bit of time that you want to give to God. You can still do both. What that comes down to to me is I see people that, you know what, don't let what you believe affect your life. You know, you can still be here and you can still do what you want to do here and then you can still go over here and you can still be what you want to be over here and the compromise is a very subtle one that says, you know what, hey, you can still stay in Egypt and still worship your God. And God told Moses, no way. You leave. You leave and you move forward. And you don't look back and you continue this direction. Forgetting what lies behind, Paul says later in Philippians, I press on to what lies ahead in the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The first one is that you can remain in the world and still have everything. You have the best of the world and you have the best of what God has to offer. You can remain in the world and also be in the Word. You can have... And you can't. You can't. Because you have to be wholly devoted to God. You have to be sold out with your heart. You have to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And nobody and nothing comes before you and Him. That's what it's all about. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. You lean not on your own understanding, but in everything that you do. Everything you think about doing. Everything that you ultimately do. You put your trust in Him. And He'll set your path straight. The second compromise was an interesting one because He said to Moses, He said, okay, look, okay, if you've got to go, go ahead and go. But don't go too far. That's a compromise of restraint. You know what that's all about? Don't go too far. Don't let what you believe influence the way you live. We had a guy who come to our RAM study. He'd come to Bible study, and uh, we had a group of people coming, and this guy started coming to Bible study. And uh, one of his friends that he was living with at that particular time, another player, said, you know, it used to bother me when so-and-so would come to your Bible study because I thought when he would come home, he'd be different. And I was worried about that. But it was great because as soon as he came home, he'd walk right to the refrigerator, he'd grab a couple of beers, he'd go on the phone, call some women, we'd come over, we'd all hang out in the jacuzzi, and the men would have a great time. And then I started thinking, you know what? I don't really care if he goes to your Bible study or not. It's not impacting me in any negative way. What's fascinating was is that, you know, when this guy, the guy who was watching this other guy's life, came to know Jesus Christ and put his faith and trust in him, you know what he said? He said it wasn't obviously because of his roommate, because he didn't see anything happen in his life that even made him have any interest at all in Jesus Christ or spiritual things. But it was in the lives of men around him who he could see that, you know what? They lived according to what they believed. They lived it. They didn't lip it. They lived it. And because of that, he was attracted to them to find out what was different about their Christianity versus Hot Tub Bobby's Christianity. That was the point. See, I'm, you know, stop and think about something. What do people see in your life? What do they see in the classroom? What do they see at your office? What do they see in your life? Do they see anything different? I'll tell you what, if you got your priorities right, and you're fired up for the Lord, they can't help but see it. They can't help but see it. Notice the peril that's there. And it's important that we see it in Psalm 119 again. Look what he says. With my whole heart, man, I've committed myself to you. He dug in. He learned it. He loved it. He lived it. He did it. He didn't hold back. He dug into the Word of God. That was the life of Daniel. That's what we need to learn from him. Everything he did was objectively measured by the laws of God. He dug in. He learned it. He loved it. He lived it. He did it. And you know what? And God was able to do great things through his life because of it. 
But the peril was there, and the peril was the same for Daniel as it is for you and I. And do you know what that peril is? He says, the psalmist, don't let me wander from thy commandments. Don't let me wander from thy word. You see the peril that's there? That we would wander from the word and the commandments of God. The psalmist recognized that his natural bent is away from the Word of God, and this is equally true of us. Listen to me. Our natural inclination is to wander from the Word of God and do what? What feels good to us at the moment. Do you understand that? That's the peril or the danger that every one of us face seven days a week, 24 hours a day. That we would wander from the truth, the objective measurement for our behavior, that we would wander from the Word of God. And when that happens, we're in big trouble. The irony is, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to first, 2 Timothy for a section, second, because the irony is that God's Word warns us of our tendency to wander from the Word of God, which I think is fascinating. Did you follow that? God's Word warns us of our tendency to wander from the Word of God. That's why it says, don't let me wander. This wandering is so subtle that if it's, if it's not in the Word, we, we won't, if we're not in the Word, we wouldn't even recognize it. In 2 Timothy, look at verse 15 of chapter 2. Paul talking to Timothy, he warns him and he commands him through the Word of God. He says, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the Word of truth. Do you notice that? Be diligent. It means you've got to study. You've got to learn it. You've got to seek it. You've got to want it. You've got to go after it. You've got to dig into it. You know, some of us are here... And we can leave our Bibles here on Sunday and not even notice it's missing till we come next week. I've seen it happen. Stop and think about it. Be diligent. How can you obey it if you don't know it? How can you believe it if you don't know what it says? How can you do it if you're not sure what's right or wrong? How do you know the difference? He says, you better be diligent, brother. You better dig into it. We go on to say in 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 14. You, however... Talking to Timothy in the contrast. I want you to notice some things here. You, however, continue in the things that you have learned. You notice that? Continue. The idea of continuity. This is what's so funny about the Word of God versus everything else that we learn and study in the world. We hear this. I get this all the time. Um, How long is this Daniel series going to go? How many many tapes is it going to be? When are you going to be done? You know, and some of us really believe, I mean, I don't even mean, I know, I know that happens every week, when are you going to be done? But, um, but some of us don't recognize and understand something. Let me just make this very clear to you. We ain't never going to be done. We're never going to be done. Continuity. I, I hear people, it's amazing to me, and I want to challenge you to think about this. Have you ever said this? Um, uh, I've already studied the book of James. Oh, you have? Yes, we have. Can I ask you a question? Well, Certainly. Tell me five things that you learned and that applied to your life and that have changed your life since the time that you learned it. Huh? What? Tell me five things from the book of James that you learned and have applied to your life and have changed your life because now you know it. No one's ever asked me that. Well, then stop saying stupid things. (laughs) Right? The point is, we're never going to be done. The Word of God is living and active and I've studied the book of James and I've studied the book of James and I've studied the book of James or whatever book you want to study and I studied it ten years ago and I studied it again this year and you know what I found? There's new stuff that I missed the first time around. 
Why? Because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Baby, the Word of God's alive. And it's penetrating our heart right where we are at the moment that we're in it. And God's speaking to us through His Word. And we ain't never done. You can read through the Bible over and over and over again your entire life. It is not like any other book you pick off a shelf that you read and go, I read it, and then put it away. Can we ever fully comprehend the depth of an incomprehensible God? When you and I think we know everything God knows, the one thing that we don't know is what God's Word says and that we don't know what we're talking about. And God always to do is start to ask us the questions. Continuity, this is what He says, that you need to continue in the things that you have learned and you've become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned. Now we read that and go, well, who did he learn this from? And we talk about his grandparents, we talk about you know, his parents, we talk about people that know him, maybe we talk about the Apostle Paul. And I'm here to tell you, you know what? That's not what he was talking about at all. He's talking about God himself. Because he goes on to say, for the word of God is uh, all scriptures inspired by God. What he learned, he learned from God himself as we dug into the word of God. This isn't a matter of, hey, you know what? And, and what you learn here today isn't even what, oh, I learned this from Chuck. No, you didn't learn this from me. You learned this from the word of God. And we should never forget that. The word of God. It's, you know, when you look at this, he, says, he goes on to talk about, you become convinced of and you know whom you've learned it from. And from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Do you follow that? The wisdom. This book teaches us how to live a life that's right before God. Do you understand that? This book is different than any other book. You can go to the bookshelf and buy books on finances and books on investment and books on real estate and books on whatever you want to find any book on. You can go and buy it. But you know what? This book here teaches us how to live a life that's right before God. This book is like no other book that you'll ever read in your life. And I think it's time for you and I to challenge our thinking to the standpoint that maybe we need to put aside some of the other books that we're reading and spend a little bit more time in the book that teaches us right living. This is the same book that our kids aren't even allowed to look at in schools and it's no wonder they don't know how to live right and it's no wonder they don't know the difference between right and wrong. This is a book of right and wrong. We need to recognize and understand it. And it's a book that's inspired by God and the source is God Himself. We need to recognize and understand how true that is. All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Do you follow that? The Word of God is profitable. I read through Billy Graham's autobiography. I think I mentioned this once, but it's very appropriate for where we're at today. <coughs> in that, when he was in his first um, crusades in Hollywood... He was being asked by someone who came who was an actor. And he said to Billy Graham, he said, um, if you're here to entertain us, this is the entertainment capital of the world. Hollywood, we're good at that. We entertain people all the time. He said, if you are here to entertain us, then I'm just going to tell you that we really have no interest in anything that you have to say. Because that's what we do for a living. Billy Graham was standing and he had his Bible like this under his arm. And the man walked up to him and he said, but I'm going to tell you this. If you're here to tell us what this book says, I'll come back every night to hear what you have to say. Can I just show you something that is a very, very deep concern of mine as we look at this whole passage in, in Timothy? Look ahead to chapter 4 for a second. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is the judge of the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom. 
He says, you are to preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. I hear people who walk out of church services and they say stuff like this. Wow, that was good. And I ask them the question, what was good about it? Was it good because the speaker was passionate? Because he was moved by what he was presenting? Is it good because he was articulate in his position? Was it good because the joke was funny? Why was it good? Why was it good? And people look and they go like, well, I don't know, because no one's, I've, said that all the, I've said that for years and no one's ever asked me the question. What makes it good? You know what God says makes it good? God says that the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. And the reason that they were more noble-minded was because as Paul came to them and preached to them, it said they continued to examine what he was saying against the objective standard of measurement, which was the Word of God. And as a result, many believed and were added to the body. You know why they said it was good? Because what he said was truth and it reflected the Word of God. That's what the church is supposed to, that's what the church is supposed to be about. If you're visiting today, I'm going to guarantee you this, if you come back again, you're going to hear the truth from the Word of God. That's what this is supposed to be about. When you bring a friend or you bring a relative or you've been praying for somebody and there's nothing more disappointing than to take them to a church service and have them listen to some human philosophy, some psychobabble, some entertaining nonsense and never get around to teaching the truth about the Word of God. Why are we doing that in our culture today? I'll tell you why. Because there's a time coming and the time is now where they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers who want to tickle their ears, tell them that they're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. No, you're not. And neither am I. But thank God for Jesus Christ who died for our sins in our place so that you and I will not pay the full consequences of what was justly ours in our rebellion against God. The Word of God says you're not okay. I'm not okay. And you know it and I know it. And we need a Savior. We need forgiveness. And how can we find that? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? By the Word of God. Not the philosophy or the opinions of people. Not for entertaining things that we all try to do to make people feel more comfortable about being here. We need to be taught the Word of God. Why? Because it's the Word of God that's truth. Please understand it and recognize it. Everything that Daniel was all about was related back to the laws of his God, the Word of God. His thoughts, his actions, every decision that he made. He went back to God's Word and said, what does God have to say? If God says it's wrong, I can't do it. If God says I'm supposed to do it, here I am, God, I'm going to do it today. Do we understand that in our culture? Absolutely not. Because we are a feeling-driven society. How do you feel about the evidences that you're carrying in the boxes? Who cares how you feel? What's the evidence say? We need to become men and women who are committed to the Word of God. Go back to Psalm 119 and we'll wrap it up. And we wonder today why there's so much confusion in our culture. There's no wondering about it. The Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 
The, more, the Word of God is God's moral compass for our lives. The problem that we have is that we don't even know we're lost because we don't have the compass to gauge where we are. Do we understand that? Psalm 119. He says this. Here's the place where all this takes place. It's in our hearts. Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word I have treasured in my heart that I would not sin against you. There's no more important thing in life to do than to study the Word of God and to commit yourself to memorizing the Word of God. The Word I have hid in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Isn't that fascinating? That's the place where the battle takes place, isn't it? It's in our heart. It starts in our heart. Jesus has said it was out of the heart of man that precedes every evil action. It's out of our hearts. We're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It all starts in our hearts. How we think is what we ultimately become. We need to change the way we think and have the renewal of our mind that comes with the Word of God. Thy Word I have hid, treasured it in my heart. It is the best treasure that God has given us outside of Jesus Christ and forgiveness through Him. The Word of God that's a roadmap for our life is a treasure that we're to value and to hang on to and we're to have it in our heart. We're to memorize the Word of God. Why? Because God will use that Word memorized in our heart in times of cir- in circumstances where we need it the most. It's the power of God, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. God takes what we've already memorized and He puts it into action every day in our life. The Bible says, don't do it. I'm not going to do it. Why do I know not to do it? Because I've read it. I've studied it. I'm diligent. I'm in it. I understand it. I memorized it. And my Word I've hidden in my heart. What's interesting is that just hiding it in your heart or memorizing it isn't enough. How many of your kids ever went through Bible memorization courses? They got ribbons and all that kind of stuff. How many of you ever gone through Bible... How many of you as an adult have ever gone through a Bible memorization course? Wow, four. That's impressive. Don't take this the wrong way, but that's pathetic. It is pathetic. We need to be in the Word of God. How can God use the Word of God that's hidden in your heart if you haven't hidden it there? If it's not there, He has nothing to use. Now, the point I'm going to make is this. Just memorizing the Word isn't enough. Why? Because I've seen some of the biggest brats I've ever met walking around on stage with ribbons about how they just went through a Bible memorization course. They've memorized it. They don't live it, though. It hasn't become part of their life. All they've done is they memorize it. Even, even the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, Jesus attacked them basically by saying, hey, yeah, you're going to quote Scripture to me. You've memorized it. You know it. The problem is you don't understand it. You memorize it. You know it. But you don't know it because you aren't living it. The place it has to take place is the heart. That's where the battle's fought. And that's where the battle's to be won. And the last thing, we'll close on this. What's the whole purpose of all this? The whole purpose is very simple. So that I might not sin against God. That's the purpose. So that I might not sin against God. What's the problem? We live in a day and age where there's no moral absolutes. We believe, but the reality is that there are. We need to know them. We need to know the difference between right and wrong, and God clearly teaches that. That's the purpose of the Bible. The Word of God. It's God's rule book for life. Read it, study it, memorize it, know it. The priority is, is that, you know what? I mean, we have to make it a priority. It has to become a priority. The peril is that we're always going to want to wander from it. We live in a culture and society that constantly bombards us with information that's contrary to the Word of God. God says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, my ways aren't your ways. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. You need to come back to this moral objective standard that God has given us, the Word of God. That's the peril, that we would wander from God. The place where the battle takes place, it's in our heart. We've got to memorize the Word of God. We've got to meditate on it day and night so that we'll be successful in whatever we do. The purpose is very simple, so that we will not sin against God. There is right and there is wrong. If you choose wrong, there are consequences for our actions. 
regardless of whether a society validates that truth or not. Listen to me. There are consequences for our actions. Whether we see evil people get away with it or not, that doesn't change the truth that one day all things are laid open and bare to him we have to do. Speaking of the judgment of God himself. There are consequences for our actions and every human being will be judged by God one day for their actions, whether they were good or whether they were bad. We need to understand it. You know, what's interesting is I'm thinking about this whole Daniel situation in his life and his life characterizes the commander, the challenge that God had given Joshua as he took over command for Moses after Moses' death. And the command was very simple and it's the same command that's true of us and we'll close with the word of God and let God get the last word in and that's simply this. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 7, God said this to Joshua. Only be strong and very courageous. And be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it both day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And isn't that the truth that we've learned about the life of Daniel? He was a man who meditated on the Word of God. He was careful to do all according to what was written in it. He didn't deviate to the left. He didn't deviate to the right. And you know what? He didn't tremble and he wasn't dismayed because he knew as he did what God had told him to do that he couldn't lose because God's word is truth and the truth sets us free. Father, thank you for this time to be together. We just thank you for your word, the greatest treasure and gift outside of Jesus Christ that you could have given us. A rule book for living. A policy manual that we can turn to whenever we have doubts about any of our thinking or any of our direction or actions that we want to take. God, may we become solely convinced, 100% and totally convinced as Daniel was, that your word is the ultimate measurement for all of human behavior. That we need to go back to it. We need to study it. We need to be diligent. We need to love it. We need to learn it. We need to live it. We need to do it. We need to just fall in love with you over and over again. God, you tell us the greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we become wholly dedicated and devoted to you. God, I just pray right now for those who are here today and listening to these words that know they're not wholly devoted to you, that they've got one foot in the word of God and one foot in the world, that they recognize there's no more miserable place to be in life, that they would just confess their sin if appropriate, that they would turn from it and turn back to your word as a standard for truth that regardless of what they think will be the ultimate consequences, that they would just be totally committed and devoted to your word. And we just thank you that it's your word that sets us free from all the bondage that we find in our life, all the misery in our marriages, all the aggravation that we go through financially, all the problems that we have with relationships, all the, the mess and entanglement that we find ourselves in is simply because we're not wholly devoted to just doing what you say is the right thing to do. God, as Joshua was a man of courage, as Daniel was a man of courage, may we become men and women of courage who simply believe what your word says and then act accordingly. And we just thank you for the results. In Christ's name, amen.